Audi. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lisa Francesca Nand and you're listening to the Big Travel Podcast, exploring life stories through travel. On this episode, Hannah Martin, makeup artist to the stars, YouTube and Instagram star, tells us about travelling on the pro team with Bobby Brown, negotiating cultural differences in China and also opens up about her struggles to become a mum, including bravely having to inject IVF meds in the middle of New York Fashion Week. I'm so pleased to have Hannah Martin on the Big Travel Podcast. of pro and artistry for Bobby Brown UK and Ireland so it's great because I'm still doing makeup myself I manage a team of fab makeup artists and then I'm kind of linked in with senior management also so kind of sitting on roundtable meetings discussing goodness knows what it's a very varied job a very busy job but I love it you're actually very very well known in your field and whereas some of us like me have been quietly building this sort of conventional media career, maybe not very successfully at times, Stop it. Um, for many years, online, on Instagram and mm. YouTube, you're massive mm. and very, very famous. I mean, you could literally post a picture of you brushing your teeth in the morning <laughs> and within half an hour, you'd get 2,000 people liking it. Well, that's kind of you to say. And I think what I've done over the last couple of years is carve out a really lovely, really loyal, fan base isn't the right word, but a, a loyal following. But if you look at kind of the world of Instagram and the world of YouTube, I'm actually really small fry. But actually it's good because what I have in my favour is, as I say, loyal followers, really high engagement, which is great. So I don't have loads of followers on either platform that aren't kind of into it. You've got 33,000 subscribers on YouTube, I checked this morning. Oh, sweet. Have I really? Yeah. Well, that's good. That's gone up a bit. (laughs) I don't know what it is on Instagram, but it's a lot. But it's a whole new world. Even for me. So I know I'm kind of classed as a millennial, but I'm very much the back end of that. I don't know how at school I never kind of bypassed the IT nest. I've never actually really had a computer lesson. When Bear was born, I didn't have an Instagram account. I was married before I had a Facebook account. So unlike my peers who have grown up with social media, I haven't. So I definitely feel amongst my colleagues at work even that I'm very much like a novice in this sphere because we haven't grown up with the idea of posting everything on social media. Well you're doing very well with it now and and how have you built it up then? How have you built up such a big following? Um, I think through repetitive posting. So I think and I read a blog post this week even about someone, I can't remember her name, a blogger in the States who was saying that to become big on 
these platforms you just have to use them and use their functionality so posting regularly so instagram kind of every day making sure that your instagram feed aesthetically has a style and it's kind of aesthetically pleasing so if someone logs in for the first time they can swipe very quickly and ascertain whether or not they like your feed if your feed's too messy then someone might look at it and then not want to buy in and press follow and actually i have to thank the lovely claire alexander who on instagram is known as jet set mama she is the younger sister of one of my best friends and a couple of years ago she said you know your account's good but you need to post every day you need some kind of synergy don't make it too fussy so she gave me some hints and tips and from then I kind of took it seriously and yeah it's, it's going well do you get recognized in the street are you are you known I, I'd love to be like oh no but sometimes and it's really quite funny so whether it's on Oxford Street someone going oh my god Hannah and I'm like oh yes do I know you are you one of our artists oh gosh and I panic for a minute and then someone just says oh I follow you can I have a picture or um I had a funny case at Paper Chase when I was just buying something and they were like have you got a Paper Chase card and I was like oh I don't but let's sign up for one whatever she's like oh shut up you were here yesterday weren't you no she's like you were we had a chat you were here yesterday and then as soon as I wrote my name on this card she went I'm an idiot I follow you on Instagram and YouTube. So, yeah, it's funny. You do some TV work as well. Yeah, I've done some fun segments for Lorraine and This Morning and QVC, of course. Have you managed to travel far and wide with your job? Yes. So my job is mainly, the travel is mainly stateside. But I did have a wonderful nearly two weeks, no, nearly three weeks in China, which was mad for many reasons. So a couple of days on Hong Kong, which were just wonderful and exciting but still quite comfortable. And then Quanming, which is a really beautiful part of China. But again, I, I was just in culture shock. So dealing with culture shock, trying to work, dealing with completely different makeup styles and aesthetics and the ideals of what's beautiful was really eye-opening, challenging, but I loved it. What were you there for? In Hong Kong, I was training some artists on like studio makeup. I then did a photo shoot with Harper's Bazaar Hong Kong. And then I did a full day's bridal work. So we did a big press launch. I did some interviews and some makeup and a shoot. And then in Kunming, a huge department store had this big stage. It was so funny. So essentially for four or five days, I was on this main stage doing makeup demonstrations with one of my Chinese colleagues who didn't speak English speaking in Chinese and then I would speak a bit in English and do a demo and then that we'd kind of go back and forth but the thing that was hilarious is I didn't know what he was saying and he didn't know what I was saying but through the power of makeup we just made it work um, and then in between all of that I'd do kind of little interviews and aside makeups with PR people. And what was the most culturally shocking aspect about working in China? Two things so the food just so very different and stepping outside of my comfort zone and not really knowing but getting the sense that and I know now with hindsight that food and entertaining is very important and certainly making sure a guest is satisfied is very 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 important so often you know so much food was ordered and I'd feel obliged to eat a lot and often it was things that I would never normally eat so I just it's funny I've got a reputation now with the team out there for being really game because I you name it they bought it to me and I ate it but then also just I suppose a real juxtaposition with being in you know a really beautiful town with great clean air and being in a really massive hotel and working in a big shopping centre but then 
poverty all around you. The street right next to the hotel, you've got elderly people gambling on the streets, sanitation maybe in some areas of the city not being so great. I had a bit of an incident where I bought a round of Starbucks coffees for people, not realising just how expensive a Starbucks coffee was. So actually my gesture, which was meant to be really kind to some of the artists that we employed, was possibly a bit of a gross display of cash. But again, to me, in London, you go to a Starbucks. I go to Starbucks daily and it's totally fine. But out there, I don't want to get this wrong, but the price of one coffee was a significant amount to your average person. When you accidentally offend someone, I think they forgive mm. you. Because I hope they forgive you because they, they must know. Well, I hope so. Certainly a couple of times I asked for rice at supper. Now, anyone who knows me knows I'm a carb freak and I love my rice. But I, what I didn't know was that actually in China, that's quite rude. And you would only ask for rice if your hosts hadn't satisfied you with everything else they've prepared for you. I was kind of just completely oblivious. I just kind of wanted rice to mop up some of the you know, deliciousness that I was eating. So again, I wish I'd had a Western colleague there who knew a bit more about the culture just to you make sure I didn't head. offend people. Yes, which surprised me. I did. I do have an Australian colleague who works out there and I assumed he'd be with me, but no, he wasn't. You've been to New York Fashion Week. Yeah. What's that like? Wonderfully crazy, wonderfully real, not quite as glamorous as I had imagined as a young aspiring makeup artist, but it's, it's fantastic. Thinking back to the last season I did, we landed kind of late one evening, the next morning I was straight to a show to assist Mark Regan, our head of artistry, with a show. I left that show early to go and get Jenny Packham ready for her show. I left her to go to the Jenny Packham show and do the Jenny Packham show. And it's just busy, hectic, makeup everywhere, but a wonderful creative time that, I, you know, is really special. I think what surprises me most is, as a young artist, you imagine the work backstage at Fashion Week, you know, is your very best work and... You've got loads of time and space to get it great, but the truth is it's often really rushed, really cramped. You're trying to create these great high fashion looks with a really minimal time. Often there's a manicurist on nails, um, you know, hands, a manicurist on toes, two hair people. So, it, you know, it's, it's really challenging, but great. And I think my first couple of seasons, I was terrified. And then thankfully, as I've grown into it, I've really enjoyed my last couple of seasons, which is great. So I feel confident now that I can say I really love Fashion Week, whereas in the early days I did it, but it wasn't where I excelled because I was kind of, I felt a weight of pressure and was always really nervous about it. Was everyone very nice and accepting? Because sometimes you get the impression that something like New York Fashion Week would be full of Anna Wintour types that were a little bit icy and aloof maybe. I think... Yeah, I definitely think there can be some. So some stylists, for example, you know, you'll work really hard on a show and then the stylist of the show can dislike one thing about it and you suddenly have to change it all up. So that can be interesting. And do you get to do stuff when you're there or is it literally work, work, work? No, we generally always do get to do some fun stuff. So whether it's with my UK colleagues, if it's going out for drinks in the evening or with all of us going for great meals. Certainly when our brand founder was part of the company we'd often go and have dinner with her which was great bobby brown bobby brown what's yeah. she like yeah oh lovely i love her i miss her i love her we're still in touch infrequently but enough is she not at the helm of the company then anymore no no, I no. she hung up her reins over a year ago which i totally understand i mean goodness it was 25 years of her life devoted to this brand and you know she worked incredibly hard so yeah time for her to she retired 
no i don't think she'll ever retire no she's um they've just founded this stunning hotel in new jersey called the george which is lovely a real mix of kind of american history and brit like english history she's a complete anglophile and yeah she's doing some nutrition based stuff so yeah have you been to the hotel no sounds amazing i'm gonna put that on my list yeah do do and she's got like a tea room and importing real english tea so yeah it looks great google it is that where they live then yeah that sounds like a really nice idyllic lifestyle yeah it's so cool where else have you been for work then so for work i'd say that's pretty much it it's kind of all over the uk and ireland stateside trips and then this wonderful trip to china so as a child I was lucky enough to have some really lovely European holidays with my family. And then I met my husband, who grew up in Kenya. So at 19, I had my first taste of Africa, which was wonderful, and have been back since and love it. And actually, my in-laws, they've now lived back in the UK, but for nine years in the recent past, they lived in Marsabit, which is in the very northern tip of Kenya, right by the Ethiopian border. So I had a wonderful trip up there a couple of years back which was interesting, you know, landing in the middle of nowhere. We literally, we tried to land, we were in a small aircraft, a light aircraft, kind of 10 people carrier, tried to land in Mars a bit, but the weather conditions weren't good enough. So, you know, we just flew on a bit into the desert and landed in the desert. I remember getting off the plane being like, is there a loo? (laughs) No, dear. (laughs) You've landed in the desert. There's the sand. (laughs) Literally. And then, you know, some Gabra tribesmen and their camels came and just sat and looked at all these white people going, what on earth is happening here? How did you get out of the desert? Well, news got to the landing strip in Marsabit that the planes couldn't land. So um, my in-laws in their Range Rover just drove straight through the desert and a couple of hours later found us but yeah it was it was kind of an eye-opening start to that part of the adventure and I think I hadn't prepared myself with just how or just what life would be like living in the middle of nowhere were you scared when you landed in the middle of nowhere absolutely terrified and I was terrified of the plane because I'd never been in such a tiny aeroplane I was really unnerved by the fact that the pilot had to wear a oxygen thing and we didn't have oxygen and when we tried to land a mass bit we tried three times so being in a tiny rickety plane coming down and then screeching back up again genuinely there was a moment where I thought we might not make it (laughs) so yeah I was absolutely terrified you know poor little London girl absolutely terrified in the middle of nowhere first trip to Kenya we just drove ourselves around the country which was again interesting because you know roads aren't like they are here in various places so people drive very erratically and when you're 18 and you're relying on your 24 year old brother-in-law to get you about the country safely it's quite it's quite crazy when you go with locals and people that that live there it's a completely different experience to anyone who's going to kenya on a standard holiday right well we had the most incredible experience going for what they call nyama choma which is essentially roast meat in the middle of the mara and we went with locals so friends of friends of my husband's parents and stuff I have a picture up of it in our hallway and it's stunning. We're literally in the middle of the Masai Mara. There are just a couple of benches under trees. You've got, I think, three huts, a couple of pens with goats. I'm really sorry for any vegans or vegetarians listening, but you you literally point to your goat. It's then slaughtered and then barbecued and then you're brought slabs of meat on wooden trays with little piles of salt. And I remember naively being like, can we get some chips with that? <laughs> And they looked at me and were like, no, Hannah, because this, this is it. So that was just surreal and wonderful. But then the drive back into Nairobi was terrifying because the young men who had kindly driven us 
have a very different attitude to road safety than we do and they were listening to the music, drinking whiskey as they drove us into the city and I just held on to my husband, uh, my, he was my boyfriend at the time, I held on to his hand for dear life thinking my parents are going to be so angry if this is how I die. You put yourself in those positions abroad, the amount of times I've been on tuk-tuks and you know, people have been drinking, people have oh, been doing all gosh. sorts and you know, it can get quite dangerous. Yeah, we did some silly things like trekking to see some friends of theirs who are American but have looked after camel cattle for years and we went into the desert, you know, middle of the day with no water. And, you know, whilst they were used to it and were fine, my, me and my sister-in-law, who's Australian, were very quickly showing some serious signs of dehydration and headaches. And it was just, yeah, it was mad. But it makes you really appreciate what you have. When you're staying in someone's house, which is, you know, Rob and Sue had a house at least. But, you know, we landed. When we got there the first day, they'd lost a mum and her baby in childbirth which was a real shocker and they're like sadly it's really common up here because there's not a huge amount of care and support and then they had a loo which again amazing but not flushing it not using running water just yeah absolutely fascinating what so were they doing there as parents missionaries religious them, missionaries. yeah but their main thing was famine relief and whilst they were there there was a huge amount of drought and drought leads to huge tribal issues because you know if cattle are dying they'll try and steal each other's camels and cows and whatever so it was a lot of kind of trying to keep the peace up there and yeah famine relief family of missionaries sounds incredible what sort of upbringing did he have over there i think he had a really idyllic upbringing his older brothers were of a school age so his brother went to school out in Turi in kenya from kind of four till nine um but simon just got to stay with his parents because he was the youngest of three and it's maddening because I feel I know, I remember a lot of my childhood pre-five, whereas Simon feels he doesn't really remember a huge amount. But there's wonderful like cine film of him sitting under a tree at nursery school with kind of 20 or so other little kids and he's the only white one. And he's there like singing and clapping in Swahili and he just doesn't remember it, which is so sad. But the pictures are just wonderful. We've got them up all over the house of him just kind of barefoot in a nappy all outside all the time and hilarious parenting stories of oh well when if we had to go somewhere we'd just leave you all in the boot of the car to sleep and you know that you slept in a cupboard drawer and all those kind of crazy things that sounds like a really it almost sounds like a film actually talking of children yeah you you're on maternity leave at the moment you've got bear who's four five five and bo who's 11 weeks at this time and luckily you live around the corner from me so this means we're recording this in my house Uh, if you hear any (laughs) with children with coffee (laughs) if you hear any children crying downstairs they're mine they're not on their own do you mind talking about how we first met no go ahead so we first met, well actually online, when I'd just done the miscarriage yeah. documentary, First yeah. Heartbeat, and you contacted me to yeah. say that you'd have had a similar experience. Yeah. So you have this outwardly charmed life, and on, say, Instagram and YouTube, when you know all these people are watching you, you have this wonderful life, and you look so glamorous and so beautiful. There is a flip side, and obviously it's not yeah. connected to that life, but yeah. th- there's light and shade, isn't yeah, there? Absolutely. What, what was your experience with uh, pregnancy loss? My husband and I married really young, and... We didn't really know what our future wanted to look like. The only thing we knew is that we wanted to start a family, hence why we got married so young. So it was a real surprise when it just didn't happen for us. So eventually, after years of testings, we were advised that if we really did want children of our own, then, you know, IVF would be the route we should take. So we did go through the IVF 
route, the first round of which was, you know, mad. I remember being on certain jobs and having needles hidden in pairs of socks and crazy things. And at the same time, my mum was really unwell. And then we did get pregnant, which was amazing. But sadly, I did. I lost that first baby. And that was probably, of my three miscarriages, possibly the most traumatic because we realised that I really was miscarrying the day of my mum's funeral. So we we left the internment and missed the wake to go to hospital and have a scan and it was just horrendous um and then i couldn't not do anything the hospital were like we you know we recommend 6 months rest and blah blah, blah. and i just i didn't feel cuz i could, there was nothing i could do to get pregnant myself i just i just had to do ivf again so they said we'll have to self fund this round but we'll do it you need to have at least was like three counselling sessions before we'll okay you for it. And I'm ashamed to say I just lied my way through all the counselling because I, was, I wasn't going to let anything stand in our way of trying again. And then thankfully with our second round, again, I was at Fashion Week in New York with, you know, needles and socks backstage. I remember one in particular, the stylist, Zaina Rassi, I think that's her name, had just had twins. And I remember bumping into her and having a moment of like a weird jealousy which is ridiculous but in that moment I was just like oh gosh you're so lucky look at you and your twins and I'm passing you with my needle in my socks to go and do what I had to do in the bathroom but thankfully Bear was born and it was great and then just like most people I had the pang of wanting to give him a sibling so we tried IVF again and again it was successful I'd had a couple of bleeds early on so I was under quite intense care and I had lots of scans and kind of by I think eight weeks they said no everything's looking as it should so this is great it was Christmas time I eventually got my 12 week scan actually after Christmas so I was actually 14 and a bit weeks when the baby had died which was just the biggest shocker and I was utterly convinced everything was fine so I'd gone on my own Bear was napping so I was at home with him yeah just horrendous um so that really did put everything I felt like I really regressed in terms of my grieving process, not from my first baby, but also mum and everything. And then was amazed when I had a natural pregnancy later on that year and was kind of really torn between being so thrilled because all I'd ever wanted was a natural pregnancy, but then terrified because I'd only lost, you know, just a couple of months before. And sure enough, I lost that baby too. And it felt like the mo- the sickest of jokes that yes, we'd managed to have this pregnancy we'd longed for, but then couldn't keep it. So we actually had a break and I just said to my husband, I can't do this anymore. And Kings wanted us to go to the recurring miscarriage clinic and I just couldn't because by that point we'd been in and out of the unit for kind of 14, 15 months what with treatment and everything um, and this subsequent pregnancy. So we just took a break and actually it was good for my mental health, for work, for bear... And then, yeah, last year, had a huge surprise. <laughs> we were out for dinner. We were in the process of buying a house and Bear had a night away at his grandparents, which is the first time he'd ever had that. And we were having a drink at dinner and so I said, oh, do you want another one? I said, oh, no, I feel a bit weird. Maybe I'm pregnant, which I've probably said in my adult lifetime about a thousand times. But I was inquisitive enough the next day to take a test and I did again on my own. So I went to work. I had to work from home because we were having people viewing our house. And it was positive. And just couldn't, just couldn't believe it because we'd been told so many times that that wouldn't happen for us. And I thought I'd 
had my one chance at a natural pregnancy with my unsuccessful pregnancy before. So yeah, it was a cautious first couple of months, you know, after loss. I think you're always anticipating losing and it's a real horrible paranoid state to be living in. But amazingly, um, the pregnancy was smooth and we now have both. It's incredible, isn't it? Going for those scans and coming out and thinking... I can't believe it, that the baby is still there. Yeah. There's still a heartbeat. It's such yeah. a great feeling. But then as soon as you get the buzz from that feeling, you know that you've got another scan in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, it's just moment by moment, day by day. And actually the time moves in very mysterious ways. It, yeah. it drags terribly. By the end, I was just willing this pregnancy to be over. And, you know, I even took myself up to hospital fearing I'd had reduced fetal movement. I don't know if I had, but I just suddenly panicked that I hadn't felt her. I've in. done that. I've done that with both of my Have you? full-term pregnancies. Yeah. yeah. And they prefer you to go in. Yeah. They do. And that's all I will say is that actually the NHS was fantastic and all the nurses said, no, you've done the right thing. You know, you, you feel embarrassed, but you wouldn't have felt embarrassed if there was something wrong. And if you come early enough, it might be that there's something we can do to help, you know, if there is something wrong with the baby. Are you going for number three? <laughs> Do you know what? It's actually a really tricky question. Oddly now, 11 weeks, I didn't feel this way after bed, 11 weeks postpartum, I miss being pregnant. I miss newborn babiness. So I've been, you know, to myself thinking, gosh, I can't bear the thought that this is the last time we'll do this. I know, it's awful. You get broody. When you've got a tiny baby, it almost makes you broody. It's and now... crazy, isn't it? But we do have the conundrum that we do have a couple of embryos still frozen. And actually, they're, they're due. They will only keep them for 10 years. And we're kind of, I think, well, there's five. So we're six years into that freezing time. So we have some serious chatting to do to work out what we do with those. Are you both on the same page with it, do you think? It's silly to say, but I think our biggest fear is loss again. Your experience, apart from the IVF, which I never had, I got pregnant quite easily, luckily, but then I kept losing them, so it wasn't really... I think it helps in a way, because I don't... When you get when you struggle to get pregnant and then miscarry, you've got the double whammy. Mm. But uh, your experience, more or less, apart from that, mirrors mine, so it must have been very strange for you when you were watching the documentary. Well, that's the thing, and it was... I think that's why I did that insane fangirling, I'm just going to email her thing, because I couldn't believe that I was someone who was feeling the things I'd been feeling and saying them out loud and I could watch it and feel a sense of gosh words are escaping me just so identifying with your journey it really struck me and I was you know I blubbed through your documentaries I'm sure loads of other women who've lost did because again it's so misunderstood isn't it and you know all those flippant oh it wasn't meant to be and I'll try again and even with bear oh well at least you've got bear you know all those throwaway comments that really diminish your pain and your struggle People so, find it very difficult to know what to say and I don't know if there is a right thing to know what to say apart from just if you want to talk I'm here, I don't really know. Yeah. I, I don't have, lots of people say well, what is the right thing to say when people are going through this journey and actually I don't really have an answer for that. I certainly found it helpful with the few friends who just asked how I was. Yes, exactly. That was really kind because I think there was a lot of pressure to be fine and you know I think after a week or two people just assume that you're over it and you're done and the truth is you know sometimes physically you're still processing the loss a week later but certainly then as the days go by you're counting the rest of your pregnancy and you're comparing yourself to people you know who are pregnant around the same time and then you grieve on your due date and then 
when you see babies, toddlers, and you think, well, my child should be that age. It's a constant. In films and TV, you get the sense that miscarriages sort of just happen, and then people go to bed for a few days, and then it's sort of over with. But actually, for some people, it never leaves you. And like you said, it's the, it's the anniversaries, it's the date, it's the birth, it's other people having babies around the same yeah. time. And physically, it takes a long time to leave your system. The hormones, not yeah. just the emotions, the actual hormones. Yeah. Know, Getting well, over a pregnancy. I think with my missed miscarriage, mentally by the time I actually had surgery that time, but by the time I got to that point, my body thought it had been pregnant for 15 weeks and it had eight months of treatment to get me to that place. And my body was, my hormones were all over the place and you don't, you don't recover from that. No, suddenly to not be pregnant is the weirdest thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, yeah. I always used to go out and just drink. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to go and have some yeah. wine. Why not? Uh, so <laughs> I better get back to travel, even though I could speak about this for ages. Oh, very quickly, makeup is a very interesting thing, isn't it? Because it's, this research has shown that makeup, wearing makeup, wearing the right makeup maybe, makes people more likely to be hired for a job, for all sorts of things. So it's not mm. just about... It's not just about the sort of shallow, looking pretty, sort of frivolous side of it, mm. is it, ma- it with makeup? No, not at all. And actually, I credit Sally Hughes with Nugget of Wisdom that she once imparted to me that I repeat time and time again. And she said, if I can be an advocate of a woman spending five minutes a day doing something that is purely for her, that is a moment of self-loving, as it were, then great. And actually, I'm a huge believer in that. And whether you're a celebrity you've got to face a red carpet or you're Jane from down the road who's just feeling miserable about herself you can both benefit from a bit of makeup a time interaction with someone or if you're doing it with yourself it's alone time and just feeling that little bit more confident and I'm feeling that now with this postpartum phase more than ever actually because I didn't bother with Bear and I was very low after I had Bear and it was winter and I was cold and I was miserable Whereas with Bo, I was really hopeful that I wouldn't feel the same way. And actually, when I'm exhausted, if I just spend five minutes putting on a tiny bit of makeup, I feel that I physically don't embody how I'm feeling. I'm able to present myself in a different way, whereas the days when I don't bother, I feel like my language, my tone of voice, my body language, I kind of emulate how I look. It's as weird as that sounds. So for me, in in this time makeup is the most incredible empowering tool to help me feel a bit better it's almost like a whole smile fake it till you make it exactly yeah i'm a huge believer in that actually the royal wedding did you actually do kate middleton's makeup because i'm i've been researching this a little bit online and it's a bit ambiguous it's did yeah. you do her makeup? And I, and I think it shall always remain <laughs> ambiguous. <laughs> now, um, last week I was interviewing someone who had signed the official Secrets Act. So have you done something like that with the royal family that you can't actually tell us whether for, you did the royal for makeup various, or not? For various clients I have signed non-disclosure agreements. So, yeah, there are many things that I'd love to discuss, but I shan't. You have said publicly that you advised the Duchess of Cambridge on her wedding makeup, but I don't know whether you said you actually went to the palace and did it I certainly I certainly love helping brides feel good about themselves on their wedding day like it's the one day in your life that everyone wants to know what you look like it's not like when you bump into a friend for coffee or whatever that they're like great I can't wait to see what she looks like today but on a wedding day you really do there's so much pressure on the hair the dress the whatever so um, I definitely love all my work with Brian. So you haven't got the call with Megan then? <laughs> I cannot wait to see what she looks like on her wedding day. She is going to be just 
a stunning bride. She's so beautiful, isn't but she? I just, I'm so intrigued to know what style she's going to go for. Something classic, but fabulous. I yeah. Imagine. My five-year-old's bestie. You know, they love you so much and they can't see your imperfections at this age. Whenever he sees her on the paper, he goes, is that you, mummy? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. I love that. <laughs> now you say it, yeah, well. you do have, well, with your olive skin and your it's dark the features. Colouring. Yeah. The colouring. yeah. You should own that, Lisa. Oh, yeah, I will. I'll start doing lookalike classes. <laughs> um, so back to travel. Where else have you been? Have, am I missing any travel stories? Um, then they say you've been to Africa once. You either hate it or you get it on your skin. I absolutely love it and look forward to our trips with the children in the future as a child i've always said i've you know born on the wrong continent i'm not a cold weather person i'm a sun loving person the beach is absolutely my happy place so for our honeymoon you went to the maldives for just two weeks of nothing which was idyllic and then actually after my mum died in the miscarriage we went on what we call a sod it holiday and we went back to the maldives just to have again a couple of weeks of you know my paradise on earth just you know supplement the vitamin d and just have some rest and recuperation in surroundings that to me are pretty much perfect for some people that might be the mountains for other people it might be a really funky city break but for me give me white white sand clear blue waters and sunshine and i'm happy that's my happy place it makes me almost physically crave that at the moment with the bad weather and also having two kids you know I can't remember I've been to the Maldives and many places like that and I can't remember the last time I got to relax on a beach yeah. obviously I wouldn't trade it for the world but yeah life it, changes and travels change so different isn't it yeah have so, you taken the kids anywhere exciting um, with Bo, so not Bo, obviously not though yeah but no we've taken Bear to Spanish islands so we've been to Menorca the once with him and then Mallorca a couple of times and it just works it's not too far away weather's great we've always rented villas and just had a really lovely low-key self-catering holidays and he's absolutely loved them and you know yeah my husband's done Ironman and stuff while we've been there which hasn't been ideal (laughs) but if I can get a couple of days of sun and family time before races then that's a bonus. Have you got any plans to take the two of them away now? You're a mother of two. Well, Simon is considering doing Ironman Lanzarote in October, I think. So, yeah, I think that will be our first holiday abroad with the babes. It's a really good time to go to Lanzarote, actually. Is Uh, it? Yes, in October. I've been in October. And it's great for kids. Good. I'm so pleased. Holidays change when you have children. You know, the the, the Maldives days are probably a little bit further (laughs) off in the future, as they are in your past right now. Hopefully they're in your future as well. When they get a bit bigger. Gosh, Bear would go stir crazy, that's for sure. You need to entertain them, don't you? I have my last question for you. It's it's probably going to throw you because it throws everyone. To me, music goes hand in hand with travelling a lot of the time. People do take time to listen to music like they don't necessarily do at home because you have more time. If you had to pinpoint a song that you've listened to, that you've had a musical moment that reminds you of your travels, be it China, New York, Kenya, Mallorca, Mallorca, wherever, what would that song be and what is that memory? I suppose there are different ones for different places, but, and this is so cheesy, but it, it means a great deal to me. You know, the classic New York, New York. So my dad used to do a lot of work in the States when he was like a young lawyer and we used to go out and visit him and one time my mum went and stayed with him in New York for a bit and we stayed with friends and family for a week or two and she just came back saying that New York was the most exciting city she'd ever visited and I was probably seven at the time but I remember thinking I just want to go to New York 
and it just never really happened in my young adult life so when I first got into a role at Bobby Brown where I was going to have to go to New York it actually wasn't for fashion week it was for what we call boot camp to like a training for all the pro artists it was such a massive moment because you know not only was I visiting this place that my mum had always said was the most exciting place she'd ever been I was then getting to go but I was going in a professional capacity as a makeup artist you know I felt like I'd really made it in my career I was young at the time but it for me it was such a massive benchmark and then to be in New York with my global colleagues from the company was such a oh my goodness pinch me now moment and before I went yeah I just listened to that song all these fun New York songs which really really resonate with me because there there is so much you know associated with my time there whether it's shooting Bobby's pretty powerful book back in 2011 which mum was really ill it'd been a big year work-wise and she asked me to come and shoot her book and I was featured in the book as well as doing makeup for the book you know I was featured in trailers for her book I was on NBC channel sometimes my face was on a bus in Hong Kong all these crazy things because of that trip to the States and then of course Fashion Week being such a massive career defining time you know I was lucky enough to go back out to shoot Bobby's latest book before she left the company and I got to go and stay at her house for a couple of days and just I have really special really fond memories of New York I love it Thank you so much, Hannah, and thanks to all our family members for keeping the kids quiet whilst we recorded this at home. Don't forget to drop us a line if you have any suggestions for guests, questions, you name it, I'm interested to hear from you. See you next time on the Big Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.